The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. So you have one big team goal this year. How important is this game? Huge. Yeah, huge. Um, obviously, it uh, puts us in place for the division. Uh, once again, I don't know how that shapes out, to be honest with you. I just know we got to get this game. Um, there's multiple games left, so we'll focus on that as we get there. Uh, but then also just uh, in the sense of trying to get this one home field, man, understanding our success through uh, through, the, through the past couple years and how great it'd be you know, to play play the postseason here, here at home. So um, it's huge. It's, it's definitely a big game. Zach Prescott talking about the Sunday night showdown, the Eagles at the Cowboys. The Cowboys almost beat the Eagles earlier this year in Philadelphia. There's a little vulnerability in the Eagles. They haven't been great in recent weeks, although they continue to win, but for the 42-19 loss to the 49ers. They're 10-2, Cowboys 9-3. If the Cowboys win, number one, both teams would have the same record with four games left. Number two, they would have split their season series. And then number three, it all comes down to other tiebreakers that would be determined as the rest of the season unfolds. There's no guarantee they're going to finish with the same record anyway, but it's huge for the Cowboys. Lose this one, and you're not going to win the division because you're going to be two games back plus the tiebreaker, so you're three games back with four to play. Win this one, and it's all up for grabs. And, Peter, you know, at a time where home field advantage week in and week out really isn't what it used to be, there are certain teams that really need home field for the playoffs, and the Cowboys are one of them when you consider how well they play at home on turf versus how well they don't play away from Dallas on grass. They need that division title, and they need as many games as possible at AT&T Stadium. Absolutely right, Mike. And I think the big thing in this game right now is that, look, Dallas played – a good game when they played at Philadelphia a month ago and they were on the verge of winning the game. I think what this game represents to the Dallas Cowboys, if, if I were Mike McCarthy 
if, if I were Dan Quinn, if I'm Dak Prescott, there are times when you say this is more important than even a game to win a division, potentially. This is about what we believe. It's about our psyche. It's about showing who we think we are as a team, as an organization. And that's why, in my opinion, this game is huge for the Dallas Cowboys. And and you can look at the standings and say, well, it's just as big for the Eagles because the Eagles, uh, you know, if they lose this game, basically lose control of their fate in, you know, in winning the NFC. And so I get that. But I think it's about a little bit more than that, Mike. And and the reason is because the Dallas Cowboys over the past three years have not won the games that are the highly competitive games that determine the best teams in football. Two years ago in the playoffs, San Francisco, horrible way to end the game with the clock running out and they can't get another playoff at the end of the game. Last year, uh, a, a terrible performance at San Francisco, uh, you know, offensively and not being able to get a drive going at the end of the game that could have, you know, put them, you know, close or had them win the game. And then obviously this year, 42 to 10 at San Francisco, 28 to 23, knocking on the door at the end at Philadelphia. Dak Prescott, Mike McCarthy, and the Dallas Cowboys have got to start winning the big games if they're going to be what Jerry Jones says every 10 minutes that they are. (laughs) Well, and adding to the challenge on Sunday night, Mike McCarthy had an appendectomy on Wednesday. He expects to coach on Sunday. And look, I've never had an appendectomy, so I don't know what the recovery time is, but it seems a little ambitious. But hey, they've gotten to the point where it's basically a non-invasive surgery. It's still surgery. You still have issues, but he's got four days to turn it around. And I don't expect it to be a problem, but we'll see. Dak Prescott has been great this year. He's leading the NFL in passing touchdowns with 26. He's got six straight games with multiple touchdown passes. That's the longest streak of his career. And the Cowboys, you're right. They need a signature win. They need something that we can point to and say they're not just feasting on the mediocre or worse. And they do a good job of that. Other than stubbing their toe against the Cardinals, they make quick work of the teams they're supposed to make quick work of. Now it's the time to rise up and and handle an elite team. And at some point, they are going to cross paths again with the 49ers. I mean, it feels kind of inevitable that the Eagles and the 49ers are going to get together. It also kind of feels inevitable that the Cowboys and 49ers are going to get together, like they used to every year in the early 90s. And... Right now, I don't know that either team would have a chance against the 49ers considering the 49ers have outscored them 84-29 to combined in the two games the 49ers played against them this year. Yeah, I think the other part of this game, Mike, that is really, really important to consider is that the Eagles really haven't been the classic Philadelphia Eagles that they were toward the end of last year when they eviscerated the Giants in the playoffs, you know, when they were bombing out teams, when 
honestly, when they played great offensively for for the most part against Kansas City in the Super Bowl. And over the last four games, the Philadelphia Eagles are averaging 310 yards, offensive yards a game. I mean, that's Patriot-like. Uh, and it's just, it it isn't what we are used to seeing in a team with a great offensive line, uh, you, you know, with a quarterback who we all think is getting near the top of the heap in the NFL with a great receiver group with, I believe an improved running game over last year, because I think that, um, uh, you know, I think that Deandre Swift is better uh, than Miles Sanders. And, and so there's a disconnect there. And I think the Eagles have to work on getting their offense better, getting their offense clicking a little bit better. And they have to start that on Sunday against Dallas. The one other thing about the Eagles that I've seen recently is that the explosiveness in that offense that we saw a lot late last year just hasn't really been there. And even the explosiveness that we saw earlier this year, remember when AJ Brown was on this incredible run earlier this year, Mike, and, you know, we saw every week, you know, he's basically rushing for or receiving for more than 125 yards a game. And you look at that and you just say, man, what has changed? But all I know is that you look over the very recent past and it just isn't the same with A.J. Brown. He had a 100-yard game, a lot in garbage time against the Niners last week. But before that, I mean, I wrote this down the other day, his previous three games, 66, 8, and 37 yards. Together, that's not 125 yards. So I think they got to start really trying to get the ball downfield a little bit more to A.J. Brown and and obviously continuing to use Devontae Smith, who's been a significant factor in the last three or four weeks. It could help this weekend to get back tight end Dallas Goddard. He's missed the last three games after fracturing a forearm against the Cowboys. And, you know, the other reality, too, Peter, Jalen Hurts the last four weeks has been the lesser of the two quarterbacks performance-wise. Yeah. He's still one yep. of the favorites for MVP. And – Look, I, I don't want to give this a whole lot of oxygen, but it was kind of a strange thing this week, and I, I know it's on the Eagles radar screen. I know for a fact that they're aware of it. David Carr on NFL Network, I think it was Tuesday night, suggesting, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, either way, he initially suggested benching Jalen Hurts and letting Marcus Mariota play while Hurts gets healthy, and then it creates a big storm in Philly, and the next night they set him up with, the question, you were in no way saying the Eagles should bench Jalen Hurts, and then he proceeds to say, no, I was just saying they should not play him and play Marcus Mariota. <laughs> I, again, I, I think it's a ludicrous concept. You just go with Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, or whatever percent he's at, is better than 100% Marcus Mariota. But something is kind of off still, and I don't know whether it's the knee injury. That seemed to be a bigger issue earlier in the year. But something seems a little bit off. He doesn't seem to be as dominant as he was last year, but he still continues to be among the MVP favorites. And if the Eagles end up with the one seed in the NFC, and they still very well could, Jalen Hurts is going to get some MVP votes. You know, 
Mike, you know, the MVP is is probably the result, the, the over-discussion on the MVP is probably the result of so many people covering the game and there being six days between games and you got to fill it with something. And look, I'm not averse to talking a little bit about the MVP, but the fact is the discussion is borderline worthless because next Monday it's going to be a totally different discussion because things are going to happen in Sunday. If the Cowboys lose 33 to 10, Dak Prescott will be the 58th person on the list of MVP odds. So, and none of it matters until a month from now when the season is over. So that's why to me, you talk about giving something oxygen. First of all, I read that and I just said this, this, he can't be serious saying this. And first of all, you know what the situation is with quarterbacks, Mike? You know, if right now, I, I, I want you to hear the reaction. If right now, Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles announced that, um, you know, Jalen is going to take the next three, off, three weeks off to heal his knee so he can be 100% for the playoffs. You know, first of all, I want to ask you how that goes over in his own locker room where Lane Johnson probably could say, you know, I really need the next three weeks so I can be ready for the playoffs. And there's probably 10 guys in that locker room who it would be better if they didn't play this week for their long-term this season health. And, you know, quarterbacks do not, uh, it, it isn't a deal with quarterbacks to rest so that you get better. It just, that doesn't happen. It happens after the season. If you can play, you play. And that's why, to me, when I heard that, I wonder what David Carr would say. And I like David Carr. But I wonder what David Carr would have said if late in a season at Houston, when he had been beaten up and he had bruises everywhere and his ankle hurt and this hurt, if they said, listen, you sit out because we want you to be healthy for the last couple of games. No, I'm playing. I'm going to going to battle with my guys. And so don't ask Jalen Hurts to sit out. If he has to, he will. And if he doesn't have to, he won't. Quarterbacks in today's game don't do that. And you make a great point. And really the first question would be, if the Eagles were to say we're going to rest Jalen Hurts so he can heal his knee, what knee injury? They've never disclosed on any injury report all year long a knee injury, even though everyone knows there's been a knee issue. You work through it. You hope it gets better. And like every other player at this stage of the season, you're under 100% and you're hanging on as long as you can, trying to do the best you can with what you have. And you hope that you get the bye before the playoffs to get some rest then and you qualify for the Super Bowl and you get a little more time then to get ready for the final game of the season. All right, let's take a break. When we return, a team that won't be in the Super Bowl, the New York Jets. Zach Wilson is back. Will things be better or worse for him this time around? That and more in a Week 14 grab bag next here on PFT Live. December football. You know, it's December football. It's a round-robin tournament to the end. We understand the importance of this game and 
we can win this one. The next game will be more important than that one. So it's, it's the biggest game this week. It's the only game this week. It's a division rival. Uh, they're one game ahead of us. We know we got to try to catch up. They know they got to keep a lead. Todd Bowles, Buccaneers coach. Bucks at five and seven. Falcons at six and six. Saints at five and seven. And they play the Panthers. You could have three teams at six and seven tied atop the NFC South by the time this weekend is over. Let's do a little grab bag, fill in the blank. The Buccaneers can win this game and potentially take control of the division if they what, Peter? Don't turn it over. And I don't mean to be cliche about that. I mean, these the Bucs have played some very good games this year, I think. And they've also played games where they're a little loosey-goosey. And so I think they win this game this weekend if they win the turnover battle or at least uh, tie the turnover battle in this game. And I'll say just keep feeding Mike Evans. He's been great. He's already over 1,000 yards, 10 straight seasons to start his career. There was that thing this week with Chris Godwin and his wife calling Todd Bowles a liar. Look, Mike Evans is the guy. Godwin's good too, but Evans is the guy. And Baker Mayfield... You know, it's, it's, you know, Peter, some teams just kind of fly under radar and stay under radar all year, and the Buccaneers are in that bucket because the division is so bad and they're sub-500. But Mayfield has been solid, better than what I think many expected. Evans continues to be one of the great receivers in the NFL in the final year of his contract and could be elsewhere next year. I think if you just keep showcasing him down the stretch, you got a chance not only to win in Atlanta after Atlanta won in Tampa earlier this year, but you had a chance to maybe win that division. All right, let's pivot to the Texans and the Jets. Texans are 7-5, and five, very much in the thick of things in the playoff. Chase, Jets 4-8. and eight. This is pretty much it for them. I think they're already done, but if they lose on Sunday and fall to 4-9, and nine, they're done-done. What's more likely? We see Zach Wilson's best game in his return after a two-game benching or his worst game of the season. I mean, how low is the bottom if you think it's going to be his worst game? So I guess I would say it's more likely you'll see his best game, but I I don't think he's going to play that well. I think the New York Jets mentally have already checked out on Zach Wilson. But the question is, if you start a guy in the football game on Sunday and you cut him 36 hours later, what does that say about your faith in the current quarterbacks on your team? And what does that say if the guy who is going to start on Sunday, this coming Sunday, had been the number three quarterback just a couple of weeks before for a couple of weeks? That might be one of the worst segments that I've ever voiced in my life. However, let's move <laughs> on. Uh, I Here's the point, Mike, about Zach Wilson. Let's let's just throw all of the word salad from Monday and Tuesday. You know, what did he say to somebody in the team? Did he not want to play? Was he convinced that he should play? Did Robert Sala cover something up? Did Aaron Rodgers say the right thing when he said that we got to quash the leaks in this building? Uh, blah, 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 all that stuff. Forget all that. Forget all that. And let's ask ourselves one question. Does Zach Wilson have a future with the New York Jets? No, he doesn't. But right now, they have no choice. It's either Zach Wilson or 
you know, guys who can't play football better than Zach Wilson right now. And so I don't know what you'd say right now if you're the New York Jets and you're trying somehow, some way to salvage this season with an offensive coordinator who has orchestrated, game planned, and called the offense at a historic NFL level for badness. Um, 88 drives, last 88 offensive drives. They've scored four touchdowns. And keep in mind, one of them, the Eagles laid down. So on the last 87 drives that the defense was trying, they have three touchdowns. That is one of the most shameful stats I can imagine. And and look, Mike, what kind what kind of situation is Robert Sala in right now? I mean, there's probably no coach in the NFL, no assistant coach in the NFL that has a more rock solid job right now than the guy who's putting the worst offense on the field in the NFL right now, Nathaniel Hackett. It's amazing. It's amazing. You know, look, there needs to be a 30 for 30 on the 2023 Jets season. And we don't need it five years down the road. We need it in May. I mean, that's <laughs> this is just this is just like the craziest season I've ever seen with about 68 different chapters of mediocrity or worse. And if there were to be such a 30 for 30, and if it were to be a true documentary done independently and not basically a glorified infomercial like so many documentaries now are, maybe we'd get to the bottom of where the dysfunction resides in this organization because it is still there. And of all the things that were said throughout the week, the reporting about Zach Wilson being reluctant to play, the reaction to that, Aaron Rodgers saying what he said on Pat McAfee's show, Robert Sala's press conference on Monday where he seemed to give some credence and explanation for why Wilson would have thought what he thought. On Wednesday, when Sala announced that Wilson was playing again, Sala said, Wilson gives us the best chance to win, and I've always believed that, which led to an interesting dialogue with reporters on why wasn't he playing then if you thought he gave you the best reason to win? And, you know, Peter, we spent a lot of time last week talking about the control that David Tepper overtly exercises over the Panthers. I think if we were to have access to a full, independent, and objective 30 for 30 on the 2023 Jets, we would learn that Woody Johnson is a lot more involved than people think, and that the dysfunction ultimately traces to him. I remember when he was the ambassador to Great Britain, when he got that assignment, other teams that compete with the Jets were a little concerned because they thought Christopher would come in, his brother, and do a lot better than Woody. And that's one of the things that we overlook when the owner isn't standing out there making it clear I'm involved. They're still involved. And I just can't help but wonder how much of this is on him and what kind of decisions he's going to make going into 2024. Cause this is my concern with the jets. Now they're going to bungle this so badly the rest of 2023, it's going to screw up whatever chance they have in 2024. I mean, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think Aaron Rodgers will come back. In 2024, I think they're going to be a good team in 2024. 
I think the biggest thing they can do in the last month of this season is to make sure there is not a civil war inside that building <clears throat> because there's so many right now competing entities uh, at stake. And, you know, if you're on the defense, this you've, you've got to just go home and scream into the pillow at night because you have to say what we do doesn't matter. We're not going to win games. Mike, there's one thing I I wanted to say about like Tepper versus Woody Johnson. With Tepper, we we know that there is significant interference. Significant. And with the Jets, we might think there is, but we don't really know. And I think there's a big difference in that. I think it's easy to make assumptions on something without the full story being behind it. Whereas assuming that Joe Person and Diana Rossini are correct in this case, and we haven't seen any pushback from the team on it, that there was there were several people who were communicating essentially behind the back of the head coach with the owner, talking about things like the depth of the pass drop and things like that. And and the problem is that the owner listened to them. And honestly, if I owned a franchise and I hired a head coach, I would tell those people, this is totally inappropriate that you're texting me with criticisms on the head coach and on whoever else in the building. It's totally, totally inappropriate. We're not going to be divided in that way. And to me, when I read that story, I just said, you know, can you imagine if Bill Parcells or Bill Belichick or or Bill Walsh or or Mike Tomlin or or whoever, you know, Roxa Andy Reid, can you imagine, can, just imagine for a second, that Clark Hunt gets a text message from a coach on Andy Reid's staff saying, hey, I don't know about this stuff that Andy's doing. Man, this is shaky. Or if a coach on a staff, even of a of a guy who's not successful, is saying it. If you're the owner of that team, you say, don't ever text me again with criticisms of the head. <laughs> I'm serious. Also, pack, I would say pack that. Pack your stuff and go. I, also, I pack your stuff here. and go. Would be Just the get next. out of yeah. here. Yeah. It's incredibly, no matter what you think, no matter what you think, it's just incredibly disloyal. If that indeed is what happened, it's incredibly disloyal. And it bothers me. And it really, really bothers me that the owner of, a, of an NFL franchise would fire three head coaches in midseason in four calendar years. And he owns another franchise in the Carolinas. The MLS team in Charlotte, which has been alive for two years. He's fired the coach both years, the head coach. I mean, you know, there is something wrong with David Tepper. You know, the nine years he spent as a minority owner with the Carolina Panthers, uh, or with the Pittsburgh Steelers, excuse me. Uh, obviously, he didn't study anything that the Roonies did. They had three coaches in the last 54, month, 54 years. Uh, this guy has had three head coaches, permanent coaches in the last 54 months. So I, I just, I, I think it's 
disgusting what's going on there. But as it relates to the Jets, yeah, show me some evidence that Woody Johnson is 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 interfering, and then we'll 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 see about it. But see, that's the best way to do it. You do it in a way that leaves no fingerprints. I think the reality is they all do to some degree or another. Tepper just is at the extreme of it's obvious and he doesn't care. It's my team. I'm going to run it how I see fit. All right, very quickly. It's the DraftKings. Take your pick. Who's your dog of the week? And I have a feeling it's not going to be the Jets getting three and a half or the Panthers getting five. Who do you have? Uh, I'm going to take the Chargers, believe it or not. Um, Wait a minute. The Chargers are favored. I mean... I'm going to take yes. the Broncos. I'm going to take, I'm sorry, I'm going to take the Broncos. Um, the reason I'm going to take the Broncos is that I think last week, the Broncos kind of got slapped in the face against Houston last week. Three interceptions in the last 16 minutes. Uh, and I think the Broncos are absolutely unequivocally headed on the right path. And, you know, what did we see last week with the Chargers? Finally, a good defensive effort, although it came in a nor'easter in Foxborough. So I don't really know what to make of that game. I just think right now the Denver Broncos are a better team. Give me Denver at SoFi uh, with the, uh, you know, with that line. I, I feel like Broncos plus two and a half is a trap. Like why in the hell are the Chargers favored in this game by two and a half points? The Broncos have been moving in the right direction. I'm going to go a different way, though. I did have the Broncos. How about the Bills? getting one and a half against the Chiefs. I like the Bills to win that game. Although not as much as I liked the Bills before yesterday. We're going to get to that next segment. Some strangeness out of Buffalo before we take a break. Though, Don't forget, as I often do, on DraftKings Sportsbook this season, new customers can bet $5 in pocket, $150 in bonus bets instantly, plus all customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Download the app and use the promo code PFT Live, when you sign up, DraftKings Sportsbook crown is yours. When we return, one of the most bizarre stories you'll ever hear coming out of a team meeting. PFT Live back after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. Auto Trader. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so yesterday morning, Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com posted a very in-depth three-part 
story about Sean McDermott, the Bills coach, and all of the various things that have gone not so well in his time as head coach of the team. And look, I don't want to say there's a bias there. It's very well sourced. It's very well sourced. And Tyler admits the fact that he lives in Western New York and they still refuse to give him credentials. And maybe if they just given him credentials, they could have avoided all this. But there's a lot of stuff there. I mean, sometimes you can call a piece a hit piece, but it also hits the bullseye. There's a lot there that does not make Sean McDermott look good. And the most glaring relates to a story he told during training camp 2019 in an effort to enhance teamwork and a message about how people come together toward a common goal and communicate effectively. He cited 9-11 from the perspective of the attackers. It was bizarre. It continues to be bizarre. And McDermott yesterday, meeting with reporters, confirmed it. Here he is. I regretted mentioning 9-11 in my message that day, and I immediately apologized to the team. Not only was 9-11 a horrific event in our country's history, but a day but a day that I lost a good family friend. It was mentioning 9-11 in the context of um, the team meeting that was the goal of the team meeting was about the importance of communication and being on the same page as a team. To be honest with you, I'm not here to, to discuss the, the article that's out there and the things that are mentioned other than this right here because this right here is very, very important to me. And um, something I take very seriously. Just awareness around a horrific event more than anything and a situation that I lost, as I mentioned, a family friend, really multiple family friends. Um, and that was it. Um, it is important to me that, that, as I've discussed here, that we are on the same page and they, even guys that weren't here, understand um, how I feel about the 9-11 event and... Um, as I mentioned to the team then, that I regretted and apologized for me not doing a good job of clearly communicating my point. Hey, Peter, of all the examples of teamwork that could be cited in human history, thousands of examples of teamwork that could be used, and we see especially if you watch Hard Knocks, you see the different ways the coach tries to just get the attention of a room full of men so the coach can make a point. At the very bottom of the list of options would be, as evidence of teamwork and communication, let's cite the efforts of the attackers in 9-11 to coordinate what they... It's If someone made it up, you wouldn't believe it. That's how weird this is. I thought of a couple of things. I said, first of all, um, you know, as somebody who lives in New York and who lives uh, when the World Trade Centers were bombed, I live 13 miles as the crow flies from the collapsed buildings. I live four miles, as three miles maybe, as the crow flies from the buildings right now. So... Uh, 
And and again, this is not, you know, hey, look at me. But anybody who lived in New York City or who lives in New York City still to this day or the area understands that your life is never really going to be the same after something like this, because every time you think of it, to me, there's two events in my life. There's JFK assassination and there's the bombing of the World Trade Center. Those are the two events in my life that just make my stomach sink when I think about them. So first of all, to think that a coach in the NFL would use uh, the terrorists as an example of a positive, you know, what great communication and teamwork they had is disheartening, let's just say. And look, I know Sean McDermott, and I'm telling you, Sean McDermott is a good person who made a terrible mistake. Terrible, terrible. And now I don't know what should happen. Should he be fired? Not my call. Uh, Whatever. I, I, you know, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you the other thing I thought of, Mike. And this is this this is weird. Your mind goes to weird places when it comes to something like this. But I, I just thought immediately that everybody who lives in the state of New York, but particularly the city of New York, the eight to ten million people who live in the city. And, you know, and who were there, the people who were there at the time, just have to be thinking, oh, my God, this this is a team in New York State. This is a team that, you know, we're supposed to be a, a, a team with, you know, that maybe we like the Giants or the Jets or whatever or, or some other team. But this is a team in our state that this was said. And it just bothers me. This, you know, the way down the 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 line of things. But I mean, just think about it, Mike. A year and a half ago, the New York State Legislature handed the Buffalo Bills six hundred million dollars in tax money to help build this new stadium. I I don't even know. I'm not home right now, so I don't really know what maybe my neighbors or people would think, but I will tell you right now that there will be those in New York who will wretch and want to vomit that the state has given the Buffalo Bills $600 million with a coach there who brought up the terrorists on 9-11 as an example of teamwork and communication. Now, let's be clear. He's apologized, and I have to believe that he understands he made a terrible mistake. And you have to decide, you have to come to terms with how you feel about that mistake. Will you forgive him? Can you forgive him? Can you forget it? Or do you demand retribution? Which maybe you do, and I think some people will. But those are the things that kind of bother me about this. And this happened in 2019, Peter. If it comes out before they get the $600 million, they might not get the $600 million. It was kept under wraps for four years. It's available now. It's known now. And the question becomes, what happens going forward? Those contracts are signed. That process has begun. That $600 million isn't going back. I think the real question for McDermott, 
I was kind of under the loose belief that he has to make it to the playoffs or he's going to have a real problem. I think that's now a given. They don't turn this around, and they're in a great spot, especially with the Steelers losing last night. Six and six, they can make it, and they have Josh Allen. And their first opportunity comes on Sunday in Kansas City where they've won two straight regular season games. But I wonder how far up the playoff tree they have to go now to save him. Getting there and losing in the wild card round, May not be enough. Getting to the division round again and losing there again may not be enough. He may have to get to the AFC Championship or to the Super Bowl to turn this around. Because when this all is said and done in the 2023 season, I don't think there's anything the Bills really can or should do now. They're in the thick of it. They have a game in two days. And then another, then another, then another. They've got to be thinking, though, about how the season ends and what it is going to take to really take the steam out of this. And we also don't know what kind of reaction there is yet. This is all still very fresh. We don't know how Bills fans are going to react to it. But I think, Peter, you know, if I know how football fans think, what they believe ultimately about McDermott is going to be fueled by how the team does. And if the team isn't up to their standard, what McDermott did is unforgivable. And if the team overachieves... What McDermott did is fine because we want more McDermott because he got us to a Super Bowl or close to it. But I think he's going to have to get him to the AFC Championship. This is just my guess right now. He's going to have to get him to the AFC Championship game or farther for this to just die down and go away. I I don't know. I, I really don't know. I have no idea what uh, Brandon Bean or the Pagulas think of this. It's a tremendously embarrassing moment for the Bills organization. That's the only way you can put it. It's hurtful. It's embarrassing. Tim Graham, who's really, I have great respect for Tim as a reporter. He had written a story, or I I have not seen the story, but he wrote a story earlier this week about how, about, you know, Sean McDermott's job status. And, you know, he obviously didn't know this at the time that that he wrote the story. And he tweeted last night that, he believes that those in the organization view this as an old story that Sean McDermott misspoke and apologized for, uh, and seemingly it was in the past. And and again, that, that could very well be true. But I just don't think that something like that can be treated cavalierly. And I expect there to be repercussions. My guess is the only thing the Bills can do at this point, get through the season and then figure it out once the season ends and how the season ends will be a factor in what the Bills ultimately do. We're going to take a break. One return, one lingering item from last night's game relating to the very first play from scrimmage and what happened after that. T.J. Watt's injury or non-injury or whatever the situation is. We'll break that down when PFT Live continues right after this. First play from scrimmage last night, New England Patriots, Ezekiel Elliott. Knee to the face mask of T.J. Watt, who was down on the ground. It wasn't clear what had happened initially. You can see the head jerk in that angle. And look at that. Boom. A violent shot to the face. He came out, went back in. Obviously, he wants to play. Football players want to play football. They want to get through it. They looked at his jaw. They gave him a tin advisor after they evaluated him. And the whole thing is just strange. 
And the average person looks at this and says, why do you need a tinted visor? Do you have light sensitivity? We know what light sensitivity is. It's a symptom of a concussion. Why is he still playing in that game? If we really care about head trauma, how does he back out there and potentially suffering another head injury after he suffered a first head injury? We know that's the thing the NFL is trying to avoid. Peter, it was just it was just uh, curious and confusing and Hopefully, we'll get some more insight today on what tests were administered and why he was out there with a visor that was tinted after he suffered that blow to the head. Yeah, I was supposed to talk to T.J. Watt after the game last night. I'm hopeful of getting him today um, back here because I'm in Pittsburgh still. I'm hopeful of getting him today, but I was told last night that there was some issue pertaining to a migraine um, that prevented him from seeing me after the game or, or talking after the game that, uh, so, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens today. But that, when we saw the replay of that, that was really kind of a frightening hit on TJ Watt. And, uh, so let's see what happens and what the medical people say today and what Watt says today. And it's a tough spot to be in as a reporter because, look, we collectively care about the health and welfare of the players, and we want the NFL to properly enforce its own rules. When you see a guy get kneed in the head, when you see him flat on his back, you assume he's going straight to the blue tent and maybe to the locker room for a full concussion evaluation. They pride themselves on having all these people in position to press the button to activate the process, and then there are moments in real time where you wonder, What's going on? It was just four weeks ago. Hayden Hurst, I thought it was obvious he needed a concussion evaluation. I thought he flashed the fencing posture after he hit the ground in Chicago. He wasn't evaluated. He was brought back in. And now he's got post-traumatic amnesia. So these are things we're going to follow at PFT. Hopefully there'll be some news and some explanation today, but we have to take a break when we return. It is time for Show Me Something, week 14. We'll be right back. Peter King giving us one of the all-time great PFT lines that could be isolated and taken grossly out of context. I'm going to give you my butt. I'm going to give you my butt. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Cannon will be used against you, Peter. Get ready. This is a very big butt. The next time you're on, we'll have a rejoin with Peter King saying, I'm going to give you my butt. I want to know what twerking is. (laughs) Oh, that's way back. That's way back from the archives, 2012, I believe. All right, show me something, week four, but not your butt, please. Show me something, week 14. Your staff is just too good. That's that's all I can say. <laughs> Courtney Gustafson and the like is sitting there. They're just too good. I can't, I can't beat them. They've got me forever. All right, here we go. <laughs> show me something. And and again, this is going to sound strange, but show me something, New Orleans Saints. I can't pick an individual. I don't know who's going to play quarterback. I don't know, you know, Taysom Hill in and out of practice, mostly out. Um, You know, Derek Carr. I, I just, I don't know who's playing quarterback. All I know is that your playoff lives are on the line Sunday against the 1 and 11 Carolina Panthers in severe disarray you're playing at home you have to find a way to win show me something new orleans saints that you have it somehow some way it's not going to be pretty 
Doesn't matter if it's 19 to 18. Doesn't matter if it's three to two. Win a game that you have to win to stay alive in the playoffs in the NFC South. Show me something, Josh Dobbs, because what you showed us 11 days ago was not good. Four interceptions, almost benched during the game for Nick Mullins. No commitment from Coach Kevin O'Connell moving forward. Dobbs, after O'Connell had a chance to review all of his options, is back under center with Justin Jefferson returning to the lineup. You better show me something. You better show the Vikings something. You better show O'Connell something because if you can't get the ball to Justin Jefferson within the confines of the offense, Nick Mullins, who knows the offense better than Dobbs, will be the guy who's doing it. Playoffs are on the line. They have to turn it around. Four games, five games left, excuse me. It starts on Sunday at Las Vegas. Show me something, Josh Dobbs. One heck of a strained hamstring, by the way, that takes nine weeks to heal. <laughs> you know, and and wow, uh, they, they they coming back, they really need Justin Jefferson. Show me something, Josh Allen. And look, you showed me everything two weeks ago. A fantastic game. I believe the game Josh Allen played at Philadelphia is one of the best he's played in the NFL. He was tremendous. He's got to do that head-to-head with Patrick Mahomes. He's playing the two Super Bowl quarterbacks back-to-back. He played well enough to beat the first. Now he has to beat the second. If the Buffalo Bills go to 6-7 and by losing this game, with the Dallas Cowboys coming to Western New York the following week, I do not really love their chances to run the table down the stretch to make the playoffs. So show me something, Josh Allen. Beat Patrick Mahomes head-to-head and keep your team very much alive in the playoff race. Show me something, Joe Flacco. The guy who three weeks ago was playing for no one started and played well against the Rams on Sunday, but for an interception in the fourth quarter that might have contributed to the loss. Regardless, he's the best option the Browns currently have. He's likely going to be the guy again this Sunday, even if Dorian Thompson-Robinson is cleared from a concussion. The 8-4 and four Jaguars are coming to town. Trevor Lawrence has a high ankle sprain. C.J. Beathard has a bad left shoulder. It's an opportunity for the Browns to stop the bleeding. They were 7-3. and three. They went on a two-game road trip. They're 7-5. and five. You look at the cluster of teams in the AFC. This is an opportunity to separate from that group that is vying for spots 5, 6, and 7. The 5 seed is there to be taken by the Browns. And the 2012 Super Bowl MVP, Joe Flacco, gone, forgotten, and overlooked, has a chance to be the guy who spearheads Cleveland's run for a playoff berth. So show me something, Joe Flacco, and we're going to show you a quick break and do round three of the Show Me Something draft right after this. One more round for the Show Me Something draft for week 14 of the 2023 season. There are our selections so far. Peter King, you are on the clock. Show me something, Jake Browning. One of the great stories out of a football game in the 2023 NFL season happened Monday night when absolutely, totally, unequivocally, out of nowhere, Jake Brown strafed the defense of the Jacksonville Jaguars. There was nothing fluky about it after the first two series of the game. He went off. And to me, 
All you have to do, Jake Browning, is do it again. Because one-time hits, one-time wonders fill every business in America. The record business, the sports business, the business business. Do it again. Show us you belong in the NFL now and for a long time to come. Show me something, Jake Browning, against the Indianapolis Colts at home on Sunday. Show me something, Seattle Seahawks defense. Before last Thursday night, the Seahawks under Pete Carroll had been 36-0 and in any game in which they'd scored 35 points. Well, they're now 36-1 and because they gave up 41 against the Dallas Cowboys and scored 35. They go to San Francisco this weekend. They've already lost to San Francisco 31-13. to They're 6-6. Six and six. It's falling apart for the Seahawks. They need to turn it around now. And they're not going to turn it around with their offense against the 49ers. They're going to turn it around, if at all, with their defense. Show me something, Seattle Seahawks. Peter, real quick, do you think the Seahawks make the playoffs? I don't. I, I, think, I think they're going to continue their slide, Mike. They've got the 49ers this week. Eagles at home next week. Final three games are winnable, but it would help to win one of the next two to reestablish their confidence. That's it, Peter. Great job as always. Enjoy your day in Pittsburgh. Safe travels. Everybody else, enjoy the games. We'll see you Monday morning. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.